The Shop, A Tale of Frightful Incompetence, written by W.P. Thrift, read by Lantis Armstrong on Twitter. Chapter 3. Let's Open the Shop. Bowman pressed down on the horn. It didn't work, but he needed it to brake the car. Unfortunately, the brakes were out, and so Bowman let out a panic cry before leaping out the driver's side door. Radix followed suit, but Landis's door was jammed. He rushed across the seats and leapt out of Radix's door before the car slammed into a light post. Everyone remember where I parked, okay? Bowman told them. As they dusted themselves off, checked for bloody knees and elbows, then headed towards the nearby block of stores in the heart of Cattellville. There were only three stores on this block. The leftmost and middle one were empty, looking for tenants. The one on the far right was a sandwich shop that nobody in this trio could ever afford to eat at. A filthy alleyway separated each of the three shops, and around the back was a dumpster that they could all smell from here. As only one store was open, it was the only place for them to go. They had to just hope that whoever was there would know who the owner of the block of stores was. At that point, Radix would need to somehow talk him or her into letting them use one of the two shops that were for rent. Oh yeah, before I forget, Radix said before he entered the sandwich shop, whenever we meet the owner, let me do all the talking. Okay? Oh, no prob, Bob, Bowman agreed. I'm used to not talking, Lanta said, looking sadly at the ground. They enter the sandwich shop, and the clerk behind the counter, dressed in white with hair down to her hips, greets them with an enormous smile, followed by a gasp of horror before she can even say hello. Oh my goodness! What happened to you, darling? The clerk said, then rushed from behind the counter, grabbing a washcloth she had been using to clean with as she went. She rushed over to Lantis and looked him up and down, fret etching across her face. You're positively filthy! And she looked his wardrobe over. Tacky. Very tacky. But also very filthy. I, I don't even know what to do with you. She began to vigorously rub his face with a washcloth, while also freaking out every time he was about to touch her with his filthy hands, which was frequently as he attempted to protest the impromptu washing. So, um, hi? Raddick said, attempting to get her attention. I'm Radix McLeod, and I'm looking to start a small business. Are you the owner of the block of stores by chance? Heavens no. My boss is, she replied. He's in the back. But I think he's in the middle of an important call right now. I'll go get him in a minute. Just let me finish this up first. Oh, I'm Annabelle, by the way. Well, good to meet you, Anna, Radix said. No! She almost shrieked, a vein popping up on her forehead. You will call me Annabelle, never Anna. Are we perfectly clear on this? Radix made a noise in surprise, but didn't otherwise answer. Bowman remained obediently quiet, while Lantis made all kinds of yelps and whimpering noises with the washcloth right there in his face. This simply won't be enough, Annabelle said, contemplating her options. I've no other choice. I'll simply take him back home and have Belvedere scrub him down. I'll have him washed up back there, then I'll bring him back here. Lantis finally broke free and rushed behind Bowman's leg, which he squeezed onto, peering around with nothing but fright on his face. Get off, Bowman said, shaking his leg for a moment before laziness made him give up and put it back down. You and yours, he muttered to Lantis. 
No, I'm not going, Lantis declared. I'm not. Oh, come now, Annabelle insisted. Belvedere has worked for my family faithfully for many years. I have absolute faith in his ability to scrub you down thoroughly but respectfully. If you're rich enough for a butler, why do you work here? Radix had to ask. Boredom, darling, Annabelle replied. She gave up trying to talk Lantis into going home with her, and then went to check the back to see if her boss was still busy. She returned to the trio a moment later to inform them that he would see them in just a moment. Then she went back behind the counter to get back to cleaning it, waiting for any real customers to come inside. The trio made their way to a table, Bowman dragging the still-clinging Lantis along until he is able to shake him off. The other two sat across from one another while Lantis awkwardly stood near the table, unsure of whom to sit next to and opting to stand instead. He leaned against the table with one hand, believing this made his decision to stand seem deliberate, but the table was too low, making his stance come off as even more awkward. Radix glanced around the sandwich shop for lack of anything else to do. He noticed a free refill sign next to the drink machine, and decided to file that information away for later when he could afford to buy a drink of any size from here. His stomach was already growling. The last meal he had had was lunch at his dad's house. If he could talk Bowman into driving the three of them there, they could all have a last supper. It was still his house, too, for another three hours or so. The door to the back office swung open and a balding, middle-aged man stepped out, his eyes quickly locking onto the trio. He wore a power tie, a well-pressed dress shirt under a blazer, and shorts short enough to be mistaken for string panties. He frowned disapprovingly at them, then signaled for them to come inside his office before stepping back in. Lenta somehow found a way to get in both Radix and Bowman's way while they tried to get up from the table, then ended up behind them as they went inside the office. There were only two chairs in front of the guy's desk, so Lantis fidgeted, again not sure where to sit. Please, take a seat, the guy told him. Lantis looked around and then began to whimper in a panic before just sitting on the floor. No, not there. Never mind. The guy was already giving up on him. Now, I heard you lot wish to rent one of my prestigious and historically significant structures. No one was able to respond before he continued. I am Paul, and let me make one thing clear. I do not tolerate incompetence, laziness, or any form of poor work ethic. If you wish to rent here, I expect lots of sweat and bone-breaking labor from all of you. Radix wasn't sure where to begin. He kind of wished someone else would take over, but he had expressly told everyone not to talk earlier. He just had to be super delicate here introduce himself, say they were all very ambitious young men, explain how a computer repair shop would benefit this town. Yeah, something like that. He couldn't believe how fast he had just outlined a speech in his head. If he knew it would be that easy, he wouldn't have left it off to the last second. Okay. Here goes nothing! Or show a bird, Bowman said before Radix could get any words out. What? Paul asked, confused. It was earlier today. I tried to catch it, but the bastard flew off on me, Bowman explained. So I fought in its general direction. That'll learn it. Paul opened his mouth to say something. Then his brain seemed to lock up. His face twitched a few times, attempting to process what he had heard. My name is Radix McLeod, Radix said quickly, jumping up from his chair. We're all young men with a very ambitious dream to bring Cattailville up to date in the new digital age of... Be silent! Paul shouted at him then turned back to Bowman. 
I invite you into my office. Offer up precious moments of my valuable time. And this is what you have to say to me? How dare you, sir? Paul leaned across his desk while yelling, getting too close to Bowman in the process. Oh, ha, nipple pinchy. Bowman's automatic response to pressure was to purple-nurple the shit out of Paul, who recoiled back, slapping at Bowman's hand. He's not with me! He just followed me into the store! Raddick said quickly. My partner, um... He looked back at Lantis, sitting on the floor. This guy! He realized he couldn't remember his name. We're the ones that wanted to open the store! Outrageous! Paul shouted, red in the face. He sat back down slowly, straightening his tie and took several deep breaths. I am not inclined to believe a word you say, but I shall humor you for a moment. It was not that long ago that I, too, was a strapping young man setting out in this world, with nothing but a burlap sack to my name. And look at me now! Power! Money! Ownership of three stores in a small town! This is the fortune I have amassed over a lifetime. And what has all of this brought me? Why, only the sandwich shop I personally opened can remain in operations. All other tenants have failed me time and again. But in your eyes, I can see promise. Tell me, how old are you two? Eighteen. Raddick lied, but only by a couple hours. And he's... Raddick glanced back at Lantis and realized how young he looked. He could easily have been just thirteen. He's also eighteen. Splendid, Paul said. He reached into his desk and pulled out a contract with a pen, and began reading it over as though seeing it for the first time. He winced up slightly. Do you know what these buildings mean to me? They are the culmination of a lifetime of work and achievement. Without them, I am nothing. So before we talk about the contract, let me speak first about loyalty. Do you know what loyalty means? That we give you lots of money? Raddix guessed. How crass. But yes... If you wish to cut straight to the heart of the matter, that is the essence of it. You must give me money, all of the time, consistently, without failure. No excuses for being late. Raddix felt his heart sink. He was really hoping the owner wouldn't be the type to care this much about money, or at least not on an emotionally attached level. How was he supposed to negotiate delaying their first payment to a guy like this? It's fine, Raddix told himself. I just have to be very, very tactful. He had a quick flashback to a debate class at Cattellville High, where his opponent had made a good point, and Raddix countered by lobbing a brick at him. He shook that thought away. No, I need to be slightly more tactful than that. So, about the rates, Paul continued his eyes watering up. It will be 500 per month, with an extra 500 down payment up front. So, for a mere 1,000...
thousand dollars right now. You may sign. His eyes began watering over too much for him to continue speaking that train of thought. By all that is holy, what is that smell? Bowman frowned. I thought I saw that bird again, outside of the window. Oh, so I took offensive measures. How dare you fart in my presence? Get out of my office, all three of you! Paul barked, folding up the contract and putting it in his blazer pocket. I am serious. Get out, now! Outside of the sandwich shop, Radix was busy going through his duffel bag. He kept a cool head and hadn't even yelled at Bowman yet about what had happened. Bowman was smoking, leaning against the building, and Lantis was roughly imitating him also leaning against the building and miming smoking. Aha! Radix declared, pulling a cowboy hat and fake mustache from his bag. I knew I packed it! Okay, guys, new plan. I go back in pretending to be a Texas oil tycoon and... Before he could continue, he realized Paul was leaving the sandwich shop for the night. He had heard everything. So Radix just sighed and put the disguise back into his duffel bag. Really now? How little do you think of me? Paul shook his head. As Paul walked off to his car, Radix went and joined Bowman and Lantis next to the building, hitting Bowman softly in the arm to indicate he needed a smoke, too. He didn't normally smoke, but he was going to be homeless in two hours, so he figured he deserved one at this point. Should I try? Lantis spoke up. What? Radix nearly forgot he was there. Oh, yeah, sure. Knock yourself out. You couldn't fuck it up any worse than we did. Lantis pushed off the wall and hurried over to Paul, just before he got into his car. And what is it you want, you filthy hobo? Paul demanded. Please, sir, may we have the shop? Lantis begged, using the same accent Mr. Roosty had always spoken with. We ever so much need it. Paul was about to tell him to fuck off and then drive off, but suddenly he froze. He recalled seeing a picture of his grandfather as a little boy back when he was young, as his grandfather told him stories about coming to America. The pictures all depicted his grandpa as a filthy orphan from Italy, his parents dying on the boat ride over to the States. Those stories of abject poverty and misery were what spurred Paul on to succeed, creating the obsession within him that he must always do better. And now, seeing Lantis's still filthy face and mangled hair flooded his heart with nostalgia for his grandfather, for simpler times, when Paul was much younger, the very beginning of his lifelong journey which had brought him to where he is now. Fine, Paul said, pulling the contract back out of his blazer pocket. I was about to lease the shop to your lot anyway. What did you say you were going to use it for, again? Or did you say? Lantis had no idea, so he just remained quiet. Never mind. Call your friends over. You are all going to be signing this, including the large one that farted on me, Paul said. Once signed, I own you all. And I have plans for someone as disrespectful as he. When Radix was waved over to Paul's car, he thought for sure something had gone terribly wrong, and he was only being called over to get yelled at again.
He was dumbfounded to learn that Lantis had somehow talked Paul into this. Once all three had signed the contract, Paul reached out a hand expectantly. The money, Paul said after no one reacted to him. Yeah, about that, Radix began. We don't exactly have it on us right now, but we could give you everything we owe you after the first month. Promise. Paul shook with anger for a moment. The contract had already been signed, and they owed him money. He was about to tear the contract up right in front of them, but then Lanta spoke again. Don't take the shop away from us, sir. We just got it. Daggers through his heart. Paul couldn't believe how effective a filthy child begging him could be, and so he folded the contract back up and put it away. You will pay me double rent next month, plus what you owe me now. So, two thousand dollars in one month's time, or you're all out on your asses, Paul declared. And you, he pointed squarely at Lantis, don't think your 1920s Italian orphan act will work on me again. Lantis was confused, and received equally confused looks from Radix and Bowman. He could only shrug, having no idea what Paul meant. But with that, Paul got into his car, tossed a key at them he fetched from the change tray, and then slammed the door before driving off. Is that the key to the shop? Radix asked, fetching it off the ground. Which one is ours? Lantis asked. There's like two of them. It won't take long to figure out. The key worked on the shop at the far end from the sandwich shop, and the trio walked inside their new shop for the first time and just took it all in. The stiff, dark red carpet on the floor, the... There was nothing else. It was empty. It's so awesome! Radix almost broke down from a huge surge of emotions. I did it! I mean, we did it! We got the shop! It's ours! Okay, tomorrow we'll figure out what we need to get this place up and running. Then we'll make lots of money by gouging customers for all they're worth and have Paul's money easy! And then have lots of money left over for us! To be rich! Is that how shops work? Lantis mused. Sure, why not? Radix asked. The main room was L-shaped, with a door leading into a back room. At the far end of the L was a bathroom. The bathroom wouldn't do any of them any good, as the water bill was the only utility not included with the rent. It went without saying that everyone here would be using either the sandwich shop's bathroom when it was open, or the alleyway at night. They'd only use the alleyway if desperate, of course, as it wasn't safe to be wandering around outside after dark in this town. They checked out the back room, and it was empty save for a door at the far end. Checking out that door, too, they discovered the previous owners were quite messy, and their mess was never fully cleaned out. It was a kitchen, and when the trio attempted to look at the kitchen sink, they were all nearly struck blind. What wonders had met their gaze from within the sink? A tropical Amazon flourished, not with plant life, at least none of the traditional kinds, but instead slithering, pulsating horrors. What never should have been was there in abundance. Things crawled around, objects moved and blinked and bounced. Things shuddered in the drain. Vibrating unrecognizables buzzed feverishly in the air above it. They awoke an hour later, just outside of the kitchen. The door had been closed. None of them recalled leaving it, 
but their ears rang and their throats were sore sore from blood-curdling screams none of them could recall screaming any more their hearts were still slowing down from an accelerated pace but no one could recall why exactly they had been so scared what they had seen in there was stripped from their memories their brains too feeble to have possibly grasped what had been witnessed in the sink but little did they know the memories weren't truly gone it still lived in the dark corners of their minds and would continue to visit them for the rest of their lives in the deepest of sleeps on chilled moonless nights in feverish nightmares that would be forgotten by dawn the memories of the kitchen sink would come back to them they put up a warning sign on the kitchen door when they became mobile again so that room's off limits raddick said but hey we still have the rest of the shop this back room could be a work area and the stretch of the front room leading to the bathroom could be a second back room if we just found a way to separate it from the rest of the room oh it could be a bedroom bowman realized now you're thinking so yeah we just gotta close it off so we don't sleep in and get spotted by paul sleeping in here raddix noted there was a large square window next to the front door that let anyone walking by see if there were asleep in here right now we'll just have to risk it for the first night raddix decided then started going through his duffel bag and tossing old clothes out onto the floor that could double as beds for the three of them bowman was laying flat on his back snoring loudly the second raddix had told him which spot on the floor was his bed lantis curled up in the corner of the shop ignoring the bedding raddix had laid out for him and stared wide-eyed at the window he could almost feel the shadow staring in at him nails against the glass somehow too quiet for raddix to notice would keep lantis awake long after everyone else had passed out raddix meanwhile tossed and turned from one side to the other for a bit he kept checking his wristwatch until he saw it tick over to midnight and there it is raddix thought june first i'm now officially eighteen years old and officially homeless officially he could never go home again what he and his old pal and his new pal had done today was all he could call home the shop long may it rain that concludes chapter three of the shop tune in every tuesday for new chapters if you'd like to reach me you can do so at lantis armstrong on twitter that's l-a-n-t-i-s-a-r-m-s-t-r-o-n-g and if you'd like to reach the author you can send me your message and i assure you he'll receive it because we're the same person thank you for tuning in and we hope you'll join us again for next week's chapter the first day <laughs>